Welcome to the Inner Source Healing Podcast, the program about healing from toxic abuse. My name is Deborah Ashway. I am a licensed clinical mental health therapist and also a licensed clinical addiction specialist. But I have also been where you are now and have experienced the devastating effects of toxic abuse. It has been a long journey through the path of healing, but when we finally awaken from the trance that is so easy to fall into around toxic people, life can be absolutely amazing. It's like you can finally breathe and live and experience life in full, vivid, extraordinary color. And I want to help people get there by healing from the dependency, the codependency, the trauma bonding, and the abuse. The healing process brings us through those long-standing false perceptions that held us back from experiencing a more fulfilling and meaningful life. Today, I'm honored to have Phoenix Gold, an extraordinary individual whose credentials and experiences seem to align seamlessly with the very essence of this podcast's mission. As a life coach with a specialization in trauma recovery and toxic relationship dynamics, Phoenix has dedicated her life to helping countless individuals navigate the trenches of abuse and emerge on the other side of healing and empowerment. Her expertise combined with a deep well of personal triumph over adversity makes her a true guiding light for those seeking to reclaim their lives after enduring the devastating effects of toxic relationships. So let's get into it and explore the insights of Phoenix Gould. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome. No, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. I couldn't wait for this interview. May I just say that's the nicest and most uh, amazing intro I've ever had. (laughs) I'm surprised because there's a lot that I have read about you and I am excited to talk to you. Hmm. To start, would you mind just sharing a little bit about your healing journey and what led you to this path of helping others? Sure. Yes. Well, I grew up with a mother who is a narcissist. And um, because of those experiences, I realized when I was 21 that that I couldn't really relate with, with anyone. I had really strong difficulties in social skills. And it felt to me like there was something wrong with me at the core. Because I was seeing other people who were just chatting and hanging out with each other and it just seemed so easy and natural and they seemed spontaneous but I didn't feel the same way I was constantly wondering you know how am I supposed to react who do I need to be to to be likable Uh, and it froze me I was often frozen in in conversations and so so I realized you know there's something wrong what's wrong with me and it got to a point where it was so painful that I was looking for help And I found a coach, a life coach slash psychologist who took me on and with whom I worked for many, many years, I would say six years every week. And from then it sort of started spacing out and, you know, I I was in contact with him for the rest of his life. And um, at some point I realized that there were other people like me out there struggling and I had the wish to help them also go go through this transformation because for me it was very very profound and very powerful and it changed my life 
from a life that was very difficult to navigate to one that was really, really easy and fun. And so that's when I studied um, psychology for some time. And then I realized the way I was going about it would take forever because I was doing it half time and long distance while I was raising two kids. And I realized that by the time I was done, I'd probably be, you know, almost 60. <laughs> so it didn't seem to make much sense. And I was waiting to, you know, find another way. And then I met a coach. And I didn't even know about coaching at the time. And I realized that the coaching training that I was looking into was really intense and really wonderful and really, really focused on just really jumping into helping people right away. Whereas, you know, the studies of psychology, I found very frustrating because I was so fascinated with the psycho psychological aspects. I wanted to just take psycholo psychology classes, but uh, with any studies, you have so many other classes you have to take mathematics, um, uh, biology, chemistry. And I was like, that's not going to help me coach people or, you know, uh, guide people. And so it, it felt in, in many ways, like a, a waste of time in certain ways. I, and so the coaching program seemed like the fast track that would work with my life. Uh, and, you know, getting into helping people a lot faster. And so I took that coaching program and one and a half years later, here I am. That is fascinating. Uh, first of all, I want to ask about how old were you when you decided to get, or about how old were you or at what point in your life were you when you decided to seek out that help? I was 21. Okay. I was really lucky that I, I, I realized it very young and I found someone when I was really young. So yeah, I started the coaching with my coach when I was 21. And I started having my kids around 35 and I'm 51 now. And I started the coaching program. I started coaching in 2019. So I've been doing it ever since. You said it was a really profound transformation, yes. but it sounds like it took several years. What was, what do you feel like the most uh, profound part of that was for you? Like what made the biggest difference? That's a really good question. And I have to think about that for a minute. No one's ever asked me that. It's a beautiful question. Thank you. I think the most profound experience was one, to have someone by my side who would be loving me unconditionally, you know, or who had a really unconditional positive regard. That, that was my coach. It, no matter what I said, um, he would always see me through the eyes of, you know, beauty, a positive regard. And that was not my experience when I was growing up. That was really profound to have someone where I could say anything, you know, whether I was sad or angry or raging mad, he would be there understanding and with a lot of compassion. And so that allowed me to open up those parts of me that I had hidden away for so long that I thought were not acceptable. So to experience with someone that those, that all of me was acceptable was very profound. That created a lot of healing all in and of itself. And the other incredibly profound experience was that 
he led me to that part inside myself that held great wisdom, you know, and that's what I experience with every one of my clients. And I think it's a universal truth that we all carry. Um, we carry that wisdom inside of ourselves, but we have no idea how to access it. We have no idea um, that it's even there often, right? I don't think we've been taught that, but that is what he taught me, how to access that part of me through which then um, I got all the answers for my healing from myself. That to me is still fascinating. <laughs> and um, it helped me to rely on me. He turned the focus onto me when it was always outside in the world, you know, getting approval from the outside, he very slowly shifted my focus onto me so that I could get that approval from myself, get that wisdom and those answers to those really, really, really difficult questions from myself in such a way that I didn't just think, oh, this is a good idea. I knew in my bones, in my flesh, in my heart, in my spirit, that's the right way to go. Yeah, that is such a beautiful answer. That just sums it up so perfectly. You got back to you. You stopped looking outside of yourself as you were kind of trained to do growing up with a narcissistic parent who needed your attention on her and he was able to turn it back to you. So I I, I love that. Is that um, anything to do with your approach or maybe can you give us an overview of the core healing technique? Yes, yes, that is very much my approach as well. I think it, it was very much shaped by him. And then additionally, through the, um, the training that I received, um, the core coaching technique does exactly that. The main part of it is turning the focus inside and connecting people with that part of themselves where they know then there's no more guessing, right? So many times in our lives, we want to make a decision. Should I stay? Should I go? Should I say yes? Should I say no? <clears throat> and we try to figure it out with our mind, with our thoughts. And thoughts have a way of going round and around and around and around. And thinking is amazing. It's brilliant. But if we could have made that decision by thinking about it, we would have already done so. So I always say, if you haven't been able to figure it out by thinking about it, now let's go deeper. And I help people to connect with that deep knowing and wisdom inside of themselves <clears throat> to where, you know, decision-making becomes really, really easy and changing becomes really, really easy. And so the core healing technique um, builds that core that so many of us don't have when we've grown up with a narcissist or that kind of gets broken when we um, have spent an extended time with a narcissist. It's like that core seems to unravel and um, kind of fall apart. And it's that kind of like a compass. I help people find their compass inside of themselves again. And, you know, that is what I would say is the, the basic or the, the gist of the core healing technique, that it goes very deep. It goes to that place to where there are no more doubts. Yeah. And I do that through you know varying tools and with varying techniques. I help people 
unravel um, those those things that we can't understand. You know, so many times we can't understand why we react a certain way. And when I take people to that deep place, it becomes really clear to them. And through seeing and understanding why they are the way they are and who they are, things change instantly. So what I've experienced is that with the core healing technique, change becomes easy because I take them to a place where they experience something about themselves and that experience in and of itself changes who they are. And so the way they are in the world automatically changes as well. Then we don't have to try and be more open or we don't have to try to be more um, secure in ourselves. Like it's already changed in the coaching session. A change happens which then ripples out into the world. What You said you use different techniques. What mm-hmm. are some of the techniques that you use? It sounds like the goal is authenticity to just, yes. yeah. What, what are some of the techniques you use to get to that? What I use is a radical self-love um, healing tool that came to me, but it's been around, I'm sure, you know, so many cultures have used it in many different ways. To me, it came like as an original idea, but it's not really an original idea as I've discovered after, you know, many people have come to the same conclusion. Um, So radical self-love is that which we never got when we were with a narcissist, unconditional self-love, you know, and we've heard it in books, we've read it in books, we've heard it everywhere. You need to love yourself unconditionally. But how, you know, I would have not have known back then and how, how you love yourself when you actually don't like yourself or when you don't like certain things about yourself, how are you supposed to, to love yourself then? And so I have developed a way to where it becomes really easy for that love to occur. You know, how when we are angry, maybe we are angry at someone, we have a hard time accepting that anger, maybe because we feel like we shouldn't be angry, a good person isn't angry, why am I so angry? So in order to embrace or, or unconditionally love the anger, we don't have to start there, we start with whatever is in the way. And so what, what is in the way is the thought of, I don't want to be that angry right? I hate being that angry. A good person isn't that angry. And so I lead people into visualization where they actually discover, you know, that part of them that thinks that way that says, you know, I shouldn't be angry. And then we send that unconditional love to that part of us first, you know, in a way of, of course, you don't want to be angry. Yes, you believe Um, a loving person isn't angry. You hate when you're being angry. Of course you are. It makes perfect sense. And when I lead them through a specific visualization, they they come to have great empathy for that part that doesn't want to be angry. And there's a real connecting and bonding and almost like drawing that part back into ourselves that we have kind of like chopped off. And after that experience of that unconditional love for that part, that part kind of almost kind of leans back and goes, oh, thank God. You know, it's okay to feel that way. Right. Once that part 
has felt at, feels at peace, now we can turn our attention to whichever next part pops up. So let's say it is that part that is really angry. Usually, you know, accepting the part that doesn't want to be angry makes space for us to give unconditional love to the part that is feeling angry. So now we do the same. Um, we do the same with the part that is angry. We get to know it really well. We find through the process I lead people through, we find great empathy for the part that is angry. We understand it and then we're able to send it unconditional love. And through that experience, another bonding is created with the part of us that we have discarded before that we didn't want to be part of ourselves. We're now able to actually make it one with us again. And many things happen in that process. One, the part that's really angry also kind of sits back and goes, oh, thank God, I'm allowed to feel so angry. It's okay. And it makes perfect sense that I'm so angry. And so we get to know that part. It's kind of like building a friendship mm -hmm. in which we get to experience also that, oh, wow, that part that makes me angry actually is a protector. It's trying to protect me from something that I that I fear from something that's not good for me, whatever the case is for each individual person, we also get to see the positive aspect of that anger. And we fall into this place of gratitude with the anger. And once we've gone through that whole process, now we are free to choose. Right. You know, now we can say, okay, is that, is that useful for me? Is it not useful for me? And so, through that process, we get to a place of unconditional love with all parts of ourselves, eventually, because it's a kind of a longer process, right? And so the, the, the basic idea is that unconditional love is actually really easy, radical, unconditional self-love, if we, if we give that unconditional love to whatever thing is there, for example, <clears throat> you know, there's this exercise where you're supposed to look in the mirror and tell yourself that you love yourself. Well, when I did that, I found that very hard. I could not love myself. <laughs> and so, um, but if we then create a connection with the part of ourselves that goes, ooh, I don't like what I see. And we send the unconditional love to the part that goes, ooh, mm -hmm. uh, then that part you know, then it's already unconditional self-love. We are already practicing it. So we can always practice that with whatever shows up first. Whereas in life, you know, we are taught to, you shouldn't hate yourself, push the hate aside, you know, focus on loving yourself. But it's really actually impossible to get to loving the good parts unless we um, start loving the parts that we consider, you know, bad parts it's like you're addressing the parts that get shoved down almost and ignored and denied and you're bringing those out and you're accepting that and you're like mm -hmm. noticing that it's a protective force that's necessary mm -hmm. and so it no longer remains suppressed and then in control and I love how you phrased it then we have the freedom to choose because without that it seems like those protective parts are running the show and you're constantly yes. 
tuning into that. Should I act this way? Should I act this way? Am I, am I mad? And you're never authentic. So -hmm. of course you're not going to love yourself. And of course you're not going to feel secure and feel like you can trust the world around you. So I, I love this approach. I think it's absolutely just beautiful and perfect. Yeah. And thank you for explaining that. Yeah. You know, what, what you just said reminds me actually of how I usually explain it is that, you know, as we go through our life, especially when we've grown up with a narcissist, we've learned that this part is not acceptable and that part is not acceptable. And so it's kind of like, as if we are a tree and we have all these branches and that's our wholeness. And we start chopping off those little branches left and right to kind of fit into the safe place with a narcissist. And, but these chopped off branches don't, you know, they don't go away. It's kind of like little kids always say when you have like a little kid that wants candy, you know, when your mom, you know that. <laughs> and they're like, mom, I want candy. If you just ignore them and, and turn away from them, their voice just gets louder. Mom, I want the candy. I want the candy. I want the candy. And then eventually they, they yank on your jacket and it gets much stronger and harder to ignore as well. Right. And so those chopped off bits don't ever go away. They keep running after us. Like all these little kids that want our attention. And when we stop running, which is what I do in the coaching, I help people to stop running and just turn around and see what's there. When you bend down to that kid, you know, to that little kid that wants the candy and say, oh my God, yes, you want the candy. I get it. It's so delicious and it feels good and it makes you happy. Of course you want the candy. You know, if you ever done that with your child, which I've done, Um, they go like yes exactly and they stop screaming because they feel oh she got it and then you can say I get it it'll be so nice to have right now but guess what supper is coming up you know it's not the time I'll give you one after supper and then they go okay you know, most of the time, not always, but (laughs) there is not that screaming anymore. Mm -hmm. And so when we turn, when we give that same understanding to the parts of ourselves, to all the emotions, the anger, the confusion, the sadness, the longing and yearning, then those parts go, ah, she got it, right. Mm -hmm. And then they're not trying to run after us anymore, trying to get our attention, they can actually settle down, because we've kind of invited them in. our house and then a piece starts to come usually that is quite surprising to where there's not that whirlwind of emotion surrounding us anymore and now we can actually really make a choice yeah Mm -hmm. like it's good like the child that wants the attention and needs the attention and then gets the attention i mean attention that's a fundamental need for all human beings Mm -hmm. and it gets it finally gets acknowledged the adult steps in and makes the decision. You can have candy or it's too close to supper. And it's not that frantic need for trying to get the adult to even hear them. So it Mm -hmm. sounds like the same thing as these protective parts of us. It's like, something's wrong. I'm being violated. Something's wrong. Is this right? Is this right? Is this right? And it's going to keep trying to get your attention until you acknowledge it. And then, like you said, have that freedom of choice to say, no, we're not in a dangerous situation or, okay, yeah, maybe this is dangerous. So, yes. but you're acknowledging it. Exactly. And another thing, actually, if we have like 20, 20 emotions running after us, like these kids trying to get attention 
and we don't want to see them, which, you know, that's, that was me when I was 21. You know, I didn't, it was so overwhelming. I couldn't bear it. I just wanted to focus on my life. I didn't want to listen to all that chatter. And so I would turn away from it, which means that wherever, you know, wherever they are on our back and we're looking front, we look away from them. That's going to be our direction we're going. We're not choosing where we want to go. We're always trying to get away from that. And this is what you said in the beginning, those emotions will then run the show. Mm-hmm. But if we stop, if we're not afraid of them anymore, then we get to run the show. We get now a 360, 360 degrees view of where we want to go. Now we are not restricted anymore to just away from. Now we are not running anymore away from. Now we can walk towards where we want to go. So radical self-love is a fundamental um, skill and, and part of the core healing technique for that very reason. I'm excited to share a special announcement with all of you in the podcasting community. Our dear friend Christina Bonnet has launched an extraordinary program that's bound to resonate with many of my listeners. It's called Unfold, a holistic expedition to uncover your wisdom and deep restfulness. If you're on a journey towards balance and growth, this three-month program is tailor-made for you. Crafted with immense love and meticulous attention, Unfold integrates powerful practices such as inquiry, drawing inspiration from the work of Byron Katie, non-sleep, deep rest techniques, and integral coaching. I love the concept of this. Christina Bonnet describes it as an expedition, and I couldn't agree more. It's a journey designed to provide you with the best tools for your personal growth and transformation. I've had the privilege of taking a sneak peek into the program, and let me tell you, it's something special. The level of care and thought that has gone into crafting Unfold is truly commendable. We all know the importance of healing from toxic abuse, and Christina's program is a source of light for those seeking holistic approaches. Whether you're familiar with methods like the work of Byron Katie, or just starting to explore deep rest practices, Unfold has something for you. You can find all the details about Unfold at christinabonnet.com forward slash unfold. That's Christina Bonnet, C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-B-O-N-N-E-T.com forward slash unfold. Take a moment to explore how this program can be the catalyst for your own transformative journey and mention that you heard about it on this podcast and get an extra 10% off. Don't miss out on this opportunity to join a holistic expedition toward wisdom and deep restfulness. And back to Phoenix Gold. Do you use any other techniques? Uh, I was just kind of wondering about like meditation. Mm-hmm. Also, maybe your background in um, professional modern dance. Has any of this influenced your approach? Do you bring any of that into it? Yes, yes, yes. I use a lot of somatic um, mm, approaches in that way. So sometimes we get stuck. No, no matter what we're trying, you know, and how, no matter how many of these other techniques are working, sometimes we just get really, really stuck because our brain somehow we get stuck in that thinking we can't really access the, the wisdom of the body and inside of us. And that's when I use movement because 
um, especially really silly movement or very strange movement shakes, shakes the brain up. And so I will use movement to find another perspective for, for the person. I use movement um, to explore other perspectives on a situation where we feel, feel stuck in. The other technique I use a lot for those people who have a really easy time with visualization. There's some that have a hard time visualizing, so I will use something different. But most, most people find it quite easy to visualize. And this is actually, visualization is for many of us a way that our unconscious speaks to us. And so, yes, I will use visualization to lead, guide people to that place where they can connect with the inner wisdom and where the, the inner wisdom shows up actually as a visual experience for many clients with which we then work um, a lot to, to find that access again. So I will use um, guided visualization a lot to take my clients to that place that is so, so deep inside of themselves, which takes a little moment because we're so used to thinking everything through. So I will use a kind of a meditation, depending on the client and what works for them, to get them out of the brain, out of the head, out of the thinking space, into that place that is a little bit magical inside of us, kind of like that, that place between dreaming and waking, where... Um, visualizations just pop up it's quite fascinating and they're different for each client and very very telling you know we will use with whatever pops up for them and explore it deeper and this is usually where they get to see an aspect of themselves that they've never seen before in such clarity so there is there is um our unconscious is so smart and i think this is why we dream probably as well. We get a lot of insight sometimes through dreams. But if we get to go to that place while we are awake, we, we are even more aware of what's going on. And that exchange happens really, really rapidly. So yes, I use meditation uh, a lot for those clients who have an easy time visualizing. Mm -hmm. And as far as dance, um, can, and you say sometimes you use that to shake up I guess the brain, it sounds similar as to try to get you out of that thinking that just where you're stuck in the thinking mode, kind of in that outer cortex and bringing it down into the body. Do you also find if you're doing that, um, where some of this, I guess the cognitions or the schemas or whatever this is, the protective parts in the nervous system anywhere in the body and, and through dance are you able to release that? Have you witnessed any of that or experienced any of that? Uh, yes. I mean, for myself, you know, I started dancing when I was three years old. So it's been a really big part of my life. And this is also why I feel so intensely. And I believe the body, moving the body allows us to access those, you know, those parts with much more ease. And so uh, for someone who moves, it, it helps us to, to, to connect with, with our bodies in which that wisdom lies. Like that wisdom, that deep wisdom actually is in ourselves and our bones and our heart. Um, you know, many people talk about um, a kind of a brain that lives around the heart or a kind of a brain that lives around the gut. 
And so, yes, when we start to move, it becomes more easy to access those parts. And especially when we're being completely silly and it doesn't seem to make any sense. You know, I often tell my clients, you know, you know, to be willing to do something, to do something through movement. <clears throat> It'll feel really strange or really dumb, but just trust me. Okay, let's just do it. And at first, you know, it doesn't seem to make much sense. And I have lots of clients who say, I had no idea why you were doing this with me. It seemed so, so strange and so stupid, but now I get it. I get it. Let's do it again. You know, so after a while, they realize um, that it opens another door. Movement has the power to open that door if we say yes. Um, a lot of we haven't talked about this yet, but a lot of people that have been raised by narcissists struggle with setting boundaries. Yes. How, how do you assist people in establishing and maintaining boundaries mm -hmm. or does that go hand in hand? How does that work? Yes. You know, I think we have learned that we cannot have boundaries. You know, when we grew up with a narcissist, boundaries were a big no-no. Every time you put up a boundary, there was a big drama. And so many of us have learned that having a boundary is not acceptable. So one of the steps that I help people with in terms of boundaries is create an experience to where they are, you know, re-experiencing the boundary or the no boundary with the narcissist in, in a deep meditation <clears throat> and where they can reassess, you know, is that right or is that wrong? And where they come themselves to, to the conclusion that, oh my God, I have no boundaries. And no, actually it doesn't feel right. Actually it feels like there should be a boundary. And so then they get to choose which boundary they want to explore in that meditation, you know, and it could be very visual. Okay, if there was a boundary, you know, because they're coming into your space and it doesn't feel good, you know, which distance would the narcissist have to be for you to feel safe? And they get to explore that. Or which, which boundary should there be? Like if you were to put a boundary, what would that look like? And some, someone might say a wall. I'm like, great, what would that wall look like? And it's always different for each client, right? Someone might say, it's a brick wall and it's this high and it's this thick. That would make me feel really safe. You know, it always starts off with an experience so that they can actually really physically feel what does it feel like when there's no wall or boundary? And what does it feel like when there is a boundary and they get to experience it's like, oh my God, my whole body relaxes. <gasps> I feel like I can breathe again. This feels wonderful. I want this, you know, now they have had not just the thought I should have a boundary, but they've had the experience of, oh my God, I want a boundary because it feels so good and it feels so right. And then we explore what would that look like in real life? What would you, you know, what would you have to say to the narcissist to create that boundary? So this is where an experience in coaching becomes highly individual because for each client that will look very differently. You know, some of them want to start out um, a big, a big boundary for them seems too scary to establish. And so we, we experience, I help them experience 
So what would be like a good first step for you individually? And they get to make that decision. You know, I, I need to say no to that invitation I got from the narcissist. Or it feels like I see them way too often. You know, I should only see them maybe once a week or once every two weeks, whatever that may be for the client. And so then we take that experience and that visualization and that deep understanding into the real life. What would that look like? And then we can practice actually, um, you know, in a conversation where we role play, well, I'm the narcissist and they're themselves. What would that sound like to say these words, to put that boundary into place? And what can they do when the narcissist resists? And so this is where um, I also move a bit more into advising. You know, coaching is, is, is one way where the whole decision-making is, is in the, or the whole idea is everything comes from the client. But with advising, um, I will educate them about how the narcissist is likely to react. What might they say? What are some really good strategies to not get drawn in again into a debate of right and wrong? And I educate them about, you know, boundaries are normal in life. They actually create healthy relationships. And they want to be you more around, they want to make you be more around another person if another person, you know, ex, you know, respects your boundaries, which of course will never happen with the narcissist. But what are some really good strategies in terms of speaking with a narcissist? There's an art to speaking or having a conversation with a narcissist. So I also teach that technique to my clients so that they can feel really empowered and really safe and they don't get drawn in and they feel they feel they're now, you know, taking the shots, not the narcissist anymore. While you're talking about that, I'm thinking the relationship's bound to change because as you know, anytime there's boundaries, it doesn't matter how nice it's spoken, that there's going to be resistance from a narcissist. So it's almost inevitable that the relationship will change. Yes. What what are your experiences with that and how do you help people? through that well you know i'm so glad you're bringing this up because this is actually really important for people to know is that when you start putting up boundaries that is usually the beginning of the end game with a narcissist because that is when the mask falls if you really establish a boundary really clearly and you don't budge the mask of the narcissist falls which means they will be at their worst they will be the nastiest. You, you haven't seen that nastiness before. Like think of how nasty they are and, and make that times 100. And so really before someone starts to put up a boundary, they have to be ready. They have to be, they have to already know that, you know, that wisdom inside of them really strongly. They have to have a really great foundation, that radical self-love, because they will have to deal with a lot of emotions, you know, once that pops up. They have to be ready and they have to know that once I start to put up a boundary, the narcissist will try and invade it even more. And if I stick up for it, um, this is when the hailstorm comes and the tornado, you know, comes in. This is, this is like, the crescendo of our relationship. And from there, I will really see who they are and I will have to make a really tough choice. 
Yeah. This is when the punishment comes, which Mm -hmm. their nervous system, protective system already knows. Probably you notice this when you're playing role, when you're doing the role play, you know, they probably already know because it's almost like a script. Yeah. The twisting and the denying and the lying and the blaming and the victim, Mm -hmm. all of it. Mm -hmm. And so, right. They have to be prepared because that tough choice, are they going to end the relationship? Have you had experiences with people that maybe can't end the relationship? Yes. Yes, I do. I have, I have clients who are, are still so still feel so drawn and connected to the narcissist. They cannot imagine ending that relationship. And oftentimes what they're in then is the trauma bond. What I see as being, you know, that trauma bond. Um, Yes, that happens. And, you know, some of us cannot really end the relationship in that way because um, maybe the narcissist is really old. You know, let's say it's a narcissistic old mom and um, we are the only ones taking care of them. And if we didn't, there would be no family member left. And some people may decide that, you know, that's not what I want. I do not want to end the relationship or I do not want to end the relationship for my own sake or for somebody else's sake. And so then we have to approach boundary making a little differently and the navigation of, um, you know, navigation of how, how can we be with a narcissist while putting up strong boundaries. And then we have to develop different skills as to how we deal with the raft right? That is definitely going to come our way because boundaries are not acceptable. But in order to actually be with a narcissist and still maintain a healthy self-image, we need those boundaries. And so then it becomes a whole different story. For someone who decides to stay with a narcissist, uh, boundary making is a different subject because we need to realize that the narcissist will never respect them. So the boundaries will be a constant fight. So then the coaching circles more around how can we maintain the boundary? And that's when tough love comes in. We have to get really tough and just say no and walk away. We have to be able to walk away when they raise their voice, when they become abusive, no matter, you know, whether they're an old 80 year old mom or not. Like if we want to be safe, we just need to walk away. We can actually train a narcissist because if they realize that their method isn't working, they will stop using it because it takes too much effort. So if there's something that we have that the narcissist wants, that may be access to grandchildren or access to their own children or money or some kind of privilege or connections, we can actually train them to adhere to these boundaries for a certain amount of time before they test them again. They will always test them, but they will actually put on the mask of respect and behave in a more reasonable way if we have something that they really, really, really want. Mm -hmm. If we don't have anything they want, then this is not going to work. But if it's kind of like, okay, if you behave like this and this and this and this, I will give access to what you want. If you don't, I won't. They learn very quickly, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And you're right. As long as there's something that they want, And then if there isn't, and if it's not a situation like that, and it's maybe um, 
you know, a, a relationship like couples or a friendship or something like that, then the likelihood of them just going away increases to find mm-hmm. some supply elsewhere. Yes. So I guess what would you do in that case? Because then there, how do those old schemas not get reactivated? They just left. There's more, you know, it's going to, I think, trigger some of those schemas like I'm worthless. I can't keep people around me. So-and-so mm-hmm. is right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, this is where we return to the work. You know, that's the deep inner work of looking at those, you know, finding, befriending the part of us that feels worthless. You know, that's a really important part. And that's when we get into inner child work, which is also part of what I do. Often those are, you know, what inner child work are considered, you know, um, well, the inner child, the little, the little girl inside of us that now feels worthless. And so there's healing work that we can do with that inner child where we step in, where we take on the role of caretaker of that little child and say, okay, well, you know, I'm here for you. I will give you that love. I will give you that attention. I will take you out to dinner. I will do this. I will, you know, where we step in like a mother, it's called remothering our inner child to where that inner child can now have those experiences that it is yearning for, you know, to be long, to be accepted, to be loved for who it is. That is, that is very profound healing that could work, but that could happen through this work. Is there any part of this that I didn't ask about that you feel an important part of the core healing technique? It seems to me like every client is so individual that it's my job to get a really good feeling for who the client is and then use the tools that are applicable to them. You know, and the toolbox that I have gathered through the last 26 years is, is tremendous. And so whatever works for each client, I will pull out that specific tool. So I I can't mention them all, but um, maybe one of them is shadow work because that is something that a lot of people talk about, you know, shadow work. So shadow work is a workaround, again, those parts that we have distanced from ourselves, that we have shoved away um, because they were not acceptable. It's very close really related to the radical self-love. And, um, you know, I think it really comes down to this. I think what we all want in some way, whether we know it or not, is wholeness. You know, we want to feel whole because that feels deeply satisfying. And so through the work I do, we get to know slowly and bit by bit and more and more those parts of ourselves that we have exiled from ourselves and very naturally as we embrace more and more parts of ourselves those parts that we have exiled show up you know for me too I still have parts show up that I have exiled even though I've done this work forever I feel like it's kind of like a never-ending story it's it's the work of our life and so naturally as we you know embrace more and more parts of ourselves more and more exiled parts show up and give us the opportunity to get to know them, to befriend them. And that is really what shadow work is, right? It's like the parts that we have a hard time with, the parts that we don't like, or the things that we don't want to be, to befriend them and realize, okay, you know, that part exists inside myself too. But I get to choose whether I want to let it out to play (laughs) or not. 
But regardless, I can invite it in. I can make it part of me. I can allow it to be acknowledged. I can see it. I can give it validation. And over time, we become more free through that process. Yeah, shadow work is kind of, um, it's getting more and more attention now. And it does, it sounds like what you were talking about originally, just going down and facing some of those parts that you just, you know, shoved aside for whatever reason, whatever programming you received, whatever positive and negative consequences have taught you Mm -hmm. to not accept those. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's one more thing I'd love to say. Yes. (laughs) Um, It comes to mind because I, 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 I was just thinking of, a picture that my my youngest son drew and it's this it really highlights a concept that many don't know when they begin this work the fear of facing our past the fear of facing painful parts is so big that many of us don't want to start on that way you know there's that fear of oh my god I'm going to get stuck with if I face this thing what if I get stuck and I'll be depressed forever and I will not find my way out and so here's I'm going to try and describe that picture that my son painted. So imagine you're seeing like a, you see it from the side. There is a little girl on top with a candle, holding a candle. It's completely dark and it's peering down. It's peeking down into a hole in the ground. That's kind of like a, you know, like a chasm. It goes down and there's a monster, a terrible monster that it can see at the bottom of this hole. But what it doesn't see is that the hole bends sideways and it becomes this tunnel. At the end of the tunnel, there are gems and jewels and great treasure and a beautiful light. And so this is really what I've discovered when clients first come to me is they're very scared to look down into that hole and they think, oh my God, there's a monster. I cannot, I can't face that monster. All they see is the monster. Who wants to face a monster in it? In a, in a hole that you can't get out of. Nobody does, right? And so, um, but what, what we don't know is that once we jump into that hole, uh, we can actually get to know the monster. And it's actually quite a friendly guy. It looks really, really terrible, but it's always sweet. But we don't see that at first. And then we get to go past that sweet little guy and we get to find the treasure. And so this is what happens, you know, every time we confront something we're really struggling with or something we're, we're toiling with, when we go into that hole, not only does this monster become a really super friendly, lovable being that, that actually accompanies us. And so we're not so quite alone anymore. We also find this amazing treasure at the end of the tunnel that is so worth that you know, that jump down into the hole and that after a while, you know, my clients say, oh, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Mm -hmm. And they're almost wishing for a more terrible monster to face so that they can get to the treasure because the bigger the monster looks, the bigger the treasure is at the end of the tunnel. And so this is what we don't know is that it's a very sweet, satisfying, fulfilling journey that frees us and just gives us more friends inside of ourselves you know all those monsters perfect that is such a good illustration or visual like the monster and I think the anticipation of facing that is the that's the part that's the problem that's the part people don't want to do and as soon as they get there and they 
face it, they're like, oh, wait, this isn't so bad, actually. And then there's treasures at the end that maybe the monster was guarding. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is so good. Oh, my gosh. What? How old was your son when he drew that? Uh, he was 11. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's perfect. That is a mm -hmm. perfect illustration of this. Especially even the girl standing at the top with a light, like, should yeah. I? Should <laughs> yes. I do this? <laughs> yeah, it's quite amazing. Well, we're out of time. Thank you so much for joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you and incredibly insightful conversation. Thanks again to Phoenix Gould. Your strength and resilience shines through, and I'm very grateful for your insights and what you've shared with me today. Your journey has shed light on the importance of self-care, therapy, and seeking out support and reminding us that healing is not a linear process and it is okay to take the time that you need. And I'm very inspired by your courage and your determination. Um, and can you please just share a little bit of any information that you want to about uh, your website or any links and ways to find you? Sure, sure. And I just want to say it's been such a pleasure just speaking with you, Deborah. Thank you for having me. And um, yes, so, you know, the red I have, developed an audio meditation for radical self-love and i'd be happy to you know give that to the people who who would like to so if you are okay with that we could leave a link at the bottom where they can um you know just get that meditation absolutely and um it's it's an automated link because so many people want it now i can't i can't do it personally anymore so they will leave their address uh, email address and then it will get it sent to them and the other way where people can find me right now you can find me on Facebook under Phoenix Gould. I also have um, a business page that is called Core Coaching. I think Phoenix Core Coaching. We could also leave the link if that's okay. And they can also message me directly through WhatsApp. And that number is 780-268-9888. This way, if they want some more information, they could, they will get an answer really quickly. And of course, they can reach me through email. And the email is phoenix at phoenixcore.ca. And I also have a coffee chat, a free coffee chat on Mondays where people can book a 20-minute time with me to get some advice or to get a specific question they have answered for free yeah that's that's probably it okay well thank you thank you so much um please to our listeners remember that there is support and hope available to anyone who has experienced toxic abuse seek out these resources um i will include all of these links on the bottom of this however it shows up on whatever podcast version you're you're experiencing but the links will be there on i'll also include that on my website as well and thank you again so much, Phoenix, for joining. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Inner Source Healing Podcast. It is important to give yourself the self-compassion that you deserve. And remember that your feelings matter. If you want more information or if you want to contact me, please visit my website at www.innersourcetherapy.com.